The Weigel Cast is part of the Hashtag Pressing Program, presented by GE. Welcome to another episode of Slate's interview podcast, The Weigel Cast. I'm Slate's political reporter, Dave Weigel, and this week I'm talking to two authors of fantastic new books about money and elections. Dan Shulman, an editor and investigative reporter at Mother Jones, is the author of Sons of Wichita, How the Koch Brothers Became America's Most Powerful and Private Dynasty. Ken Vogel is Politico's chief investigative reporter, and he's the author of Big Money, which has an even longer subtitle. Both books are on sale now, and both take readers inside the homes, meetings, and minds of the country's wealthiest political donors. All right, so both of you guys spent a lot of time getting to know rich people who generally stay out of the public eye. How smart are the very rich about the mechanics of politics? How much do they actually understand about where their money is going, what the most effective way to spend it, versus how easily they're taken advantage of by consultants? I think there's a wide range. Uh, one of the things that you've commented on, Dave, in the past is the sort of ham-handed PR efforts by folks, including the Kochs, who clearly don't want any part of the spotlight, but when they when they do find themselves in the spotlight, have this clumsy approach to sort of pushing back that it seems to me, at least in some cases, to exacerbate the attention, the, the attention that they don't want. So that's the PR side. As far as the politics side, there are definitely some folks who, I, I will say just as a rule, they're all kind of political junkies. And the thing that I compare it to in my book is these very wealthy folks who have made a ton of money in whatever their chosen field and are sports junkies. And so they plunk down a couple hundred million dollars for a sports team. And there, too, there's a range. So there's a plenty of folks who uh, have no clue about sports, but because they just bought this thing, because they've been so successful in their chosen field, they think that the same sort of aptitude can apply to sports. So they're telling the GM who to draft. They're telling the coach which plays to call. And the result is the Washington Redskins because Dan Snyder is that prototype. And they, because they write the checks, get their way. And the result, I think, in a lot of these cases are super PACs or outside groups that have really sort of crazy strategies that are donor-driven and would be better if they just wrote the check and let the professionals handle it. Yeah, Dan, same question for you about yeah. that, because I've heard Republicans criticize the way Americans Prosperity, which is the main Coke group, there are tons. How the Cokes, they're credited a lot with being smart, but how much do they actually know about the politics they're getting involved well, in? Well, to back up for a second, just to their network, um, I think you have a lot of people that view their donor conferences as the cool, you know, the cool place for conservatives to be. It's been described to me as the sort of libertarian Woodstock. So I think you do have a lot of donors that go to this um, and aren't quite sure what their money is getting. Now, in terms of uh, the Kochs themselves and their political operation, uh, it's pretty sophisticated in that they you know, have the ability to raise as much as the Republican National Committee. Um, they can air ads through any number of groups. They've got ground forces through Americans for, for Prosperity. They've got a data micro-targeting operation. But then your question of, of what did this all get them in 2012? It was kind of a major failure. And even the Obama campaign, which was petrified of Americans for Prosperity going into that race, um, realized pretty early on that their ads, like the Solyndra ads that you were talking about, were really not very well targeted and not very well produced. And But they responded to that ad. The very first Obama campaign yep. ad was a direct response to the to the AFP. And that was Solyndra a calculated ad. that was a very calculated response. And the idea behind that whole response was they wanted to tie the Cokes to Americans for prosperity. So whenever people heard those ads, they would say, oh, well, this is the Koch brothers. You know, this is not a grassroots organization. This is, you know, an organization whose 
founded and funded by petrochemical billionaires. That, that was the sort of internal uh, thinking. The one thing about the Cokes, and this go- is true of their company as well, is that they do learn from their mistakes pretty quickly and they, um, they do cut their losses. I was a little bit surprised by the, that there wasn't more of a realignment after the 2012 election, but I think they're in the process of, of trying to, to take some of the lessons they learned and, and, and channel them into 2014. Yeah, and, and, and uh, I, the, I agree with that. That's totally uh, my understanding as well. But with Dave, one of the criticisms that you seem to be like hitting at, I've heard as well, they are not crossing the line into express advocacy. They were most of the AFP ads, most of the group's ads, they're issue-based ads. They're what's known in the sort of election law communities, electioneering communication. So they'll say things like, you know, Obamacare is bad. Kay Hagan supported Obamacare. Call Kay Hagan and ask her why she supports Obamacare. They won't say vote for Tom Tillis or vote against Kay Hagan. Now, for most people, I think you watch that ad, you get that impression anyway. You you get the message that they want you to vote uh, against Kay Hagan or vote for Tom Tillis. But there's some criticism within the Republican uh, operative class that they would be more effective if they crossed that line. But there's long been this tension in the Koch uh, political network where they have brought in traditional Republican operatives in some cases to run these very uh, robust efforts. And then they've said like, but we want them to be about issues. And so some of the operatives have said, well, we'd like it to just cross that line. And in, in my book, I talk a little bit about how the one exception they made to that was AFP actually in 2000. 12 did vote, took a vote of the board, which was very controversial to oppose Obama, not to support Romney, but to oppose Obama. So there were some ads, and even then it wasn't the majority of the ads, but there were some ads that actually did cross that line and said, vote against Obama. Now, clearly, they weren't that effective because Obama still won, but it does reflect this tension that I think is is very much at the heart of all the Koch sort of political uh, involvement. Donors have certainly gravitated towards the Coke network too just because they, you know, one thing is that they think they're putting their money in a hole by donating it to some of the traditional Republican Party organs. And that was something that I heard a bunch. So, Which, least, which is an impression that the Cokes have sort of worked to. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We'll get back to my interview with Ken Vogel and Dan Schulman in a moment. The Weigelcast is part of the Hashtag Pressing program presented by GE. Hashtag Pressing is working with some of the country's best news organizations to bring you thoughtful discussions of policy, not heated arguments about politics. I'd like to thank GE for making the program possible. And now back to my talk with Ken Vogel and Dan Schulman. Getting to that, though, when we talk Mm -hmm. about the effort they, they undertake to keep donations private, the demands they make on political consultants, how are they actually changing what the parties stand for and what politicians run on. Because I guess the Democratic critique of the Kochs, which Harry Reid makes every week, he will tie every single Republican vote to the money that they're giving them. Starting with, with, with Dan, with you and, and the Kochs, how have they changed the Republican Party? What did they want from the Republican Party when they started funding it as opposed to funding the Libertarian Party? And how have they changed it? You know, the interesting thing is that the, they do have this reputation right now as Republican kingmakers, which, of course, they are. But they do have this long evolution um, in the libertarian world. And it's been a very long, slow climb for them to get to the place um, that they are. You know, their their issues really align with the Republicans on a pretty narrow set of issues, um, mostly economic, anti-regulatory stuff. Um, and the one way that I think that they're having effect is sort of in, I guess, what you could say is the libertarian tinge of the Republican Party right now. Um, you've got people like Rand Paul who are quite popular. 
Um, the question is whether you'll see them pushing some of the rest of their agenda. They're not social conservatives. You know, David Koch, um, as Ken has reported in the past, has said has come out in favor of gay marriage. Um, you saw them sort of dip a toe in the immigration reform debate. And as soon as they did that, though, there was a bit of a backlash on the right. You know, they were they were decried as kind of pro-amnesty. Um, so I think the question going forward is now that they have all this influence, whether they're really going to exert it to move the Republican Party on, on certain key issues. And one, and one of the ways I think you can really see their influence <laughs> is just – Looking at the Tea Party, you and I were sort of there at the beginning of the Tea Party, Dave. And if you remember, I mean, there was no there was no guarantee that this was going to be like the economic conservative uh, protest movement. It could have been social conservative. There were certainly strains of social conservatism in it. Uh, not so much the neocon sort of uh, national security conservatism, but. Uh, AFP and, and a few other groups were extremely effective in sort of harnessing the Tea Party and giving it uh, this infrastructure and sort of helping mobilize it and making it about economic conservatism. And so that that uh, very effective play uh, sort of has continuing effect on the Republican Party. And it's what Dan talked about, that there's this like libertarian uh, sort of theme running through the base. And I think that was by no means guaranteed. And so the Kochs and AFP, from a pure political tactics perspective, deserve a lot of credit for that. And how has the left side of the donation circuit, how has that changed what Democrats stand for? Has it so far? It seems like there's more tension than usual or than there was before between labor, which is fine with building as many pipelines as possible, whatever whatever you're transporting, and the Tom Steyers who are dem- basically saying we'll hold out money unless you block any more access to carbon coming out of the ground. Have, have, how have left donations changed with the Democrats stand for? Yeah, I think we're starting to see that tension. We're starting to see what we, what we saw on the right that really manifested itself in the 2012 Republican presidential primary and has continued to manifest itself with the sort of Tea Party versus establishment thing, and that's money versus money. Money sort of fighting itself on the inside of the of the Republican Party, and I think we're starting to see that on the Democratic side. Uh, and you, Steyer and Labor are great examples, uh, envir- the environmental movement and, and uh, the sort of Labor progressive uh, populist parts of the Democratic Party have felt like they've gotten short shrift in the Obama presidency, despite what seemed to them to be like a great amount of promise at the beginning. I mean, a lot of these folks got behind Obama and feel like he's just throwing them under the bus. And so now we're coming up on a period where much like we have with the Republican Party, still have with the Republican Party, there will be a fight for the soul of the Democratic Party. How hard is this to report? Because an argument that I've heard most first the Kochs make and then the defenders in the Republican Party is that they're private citizens. And when Democrats attack them, when Democrats personalize the attacks against them, they're attacking private citizens and throttling free speech. Uh, Dan, as you're researching this, how paranoid are, are the guys, the Kochs especially, about revealing information from their past and explaining what they stand for in their own words? You know, I certainly think I started going gray in this process because um, the, the, you look like you're doing all right. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Just a few up front, but the process of ferreting out information about the Cokes was uh, in- incredibly difficult. I mean, they are by nature an extraordinarily pri- private family. This goes back to their um, dad, who was a founder of the John Birch Society, and he came under a lot of attack for that uh, during his time. And this sort of led him. Uh, and the rest of the family to be just very, very private about their affairs. 
you know, basically it was making 10 phone calls to, you know, actually talk to one person. It was going to every sort of archive that I could think of in order to find the letters that Fred Koch wrote to his, you know, John Birch Society buddies in the 50s and 60s, um, finding the literal salt mine in Kansas where they stored all the court records from this epic legal case between the Koch brothers. So it was difficult. And throughout the process, um, you know, I was in touch with Koch Industries uh, folks there throughout, and they were tracking what I was doing pretty closely. I had one experience where I interviewed someone out in Wichita, a buddy of Charles Koch's, and uh, he asked, I was taping the interview, and I and he asked, okay, well, you can tape the interview if you can give me a copy. I agreed, and uh, I got home, sent him a disc with the interview on it, and followed up a few days later just to make sure he got it. Got his secretary on the line, and she said to me, oh, so-and-so from Coke just came by to pick that up. And then she went silent because she realized, oh, wait, I shouldn't have told him that. <laughs> so um, so there, there were certainly experiences like that. And, well, your book, mm-hmm. Ken, I don't think there's a chapter in it that doesn't include you being kicked out of somewhere or, <laughs> or, or a contact you've made being leaked to someone else in the, organ- in the organization of the company. So what did you find in ter- it, for left and right? How paranoid are these, are, are these people now that they're in politics, now that they're deciding who gets elected? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You talk to these folks and they still, uh, you know, think of themselves as like private citizens and they think of this attention as unwarranted. But clearly, as this money plays a bigger and bigger role, as the money gets bigger and plays a bigger role in politics, they're not. And you see a recognition of this on both sides where certainly right now the the left is being more aggressive in, in trying to make examples of and make public figures of uh, conservative donors, the Kochs obviously being at the fore of that. And so I think some of them are sort of beginning to become comfortable with this idea. Others are retreating still further to the secretive side, and there, it, there are avenues for them to give uh, in a way that we would never find out about. Uh, but they, they, in some ways, it seems like they can't help them, so they want some credit for this. And so whether it's showing, getting the invitation to show up at the Coke donor seminars or whether it's you know, being written about in the press or being uh, sort of recognized by the operatives who raise and spend the money, uh, there, are, there are ways to sort of uh, take advantage of their vanity, I guess you could say, and, and sort of find out about who they are. Well, thanks so much for talking to me about the, about the books. Thanks Pleasure. for your time today. And that's it for this week's Wogglecast. Thanks to our producer, Alexis Dial, to Slate's senior producer, Mike Bolo, and to the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, Andy Bowers. I'm Dave Weigel, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.